This is your favorite podcaster, Romina, and you just tuned in to RM Podcast FL. Hey, 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 welcome back to RM Podcast FL. This is your favorite podcaster, Romina. Hope everybody's having an amazing and tremendous and a fabulous and a glorious day so far. I mean, hope everybody's having a great day at the end of the day. <laughs> but I want to thank you guys for tuning in to RM Podcast FL. Yay! Thank you for investing your time towards this podcast. And I want to actually go ahead and ask you guys for a tiny little favor. If you can please go ahead and give us a five-star review if you're listening to this episode through Apple Podcasts. And also write a short comment of how awesome we are doing. So this way, whenever somebody's trying to look at our podcast, they also get to see our little review too. So why not? <laughs> but uh, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. And before I even start, you guys, I want to let you guys know a little bit background with uh, this episode. So this episode was recorded a couple of months ago. And I have to say this was one of the episodes that touched me very personally and kind of hit home for me because I talk with a guest speaker um, about how whenever you're an employee and you have great ideas, but you work in the corporate world, there's a limitation of how much you can help and how much you can contribute towards taking the team to the next level. So I was at the stage and I actually listened to this episode a couple of times by myself before in the last couple of months. And I'll be honest with you, has been one of the most eye-opening episodes, just seeing Mrs. Cooper's um, experience and her perspective on consult- consulting. And it helped me personally uh, to make a decision. So as of a couple of weeks right now, I am no longer employed at the job that I was before. And to run a little bit of background on this, you guys, I am great at sales. I can sell anything. I've worked out of sales. I've worked door-to-door sales or residential sales, the fancy name for it. I've worked inside sales. I can legit sell you anything. I don't mind it at all. I talk a lot. I can be friends with anybody. But I did not want to be, I do not want to be just a sales agent my whole life. I know I have a lot more potential in me and I had this amazing ideas that I was trying to pitch to the leadership team and they would apply it, but I'll never get credit for it. So without getting too much details of like the exact reasons why I actually quit my job, I know to tell you that this episode actually helped me open my eyes and actually appreciate what I do and my skills a lot more than what I was being appreciated from my management team uh, where I was working before. So, um, again, I'm not trying to bash on anybody. I understand everybody runs business differently. And it just comes a time and a point that you have to split paths with uh, business, with a friendship, with a partnership, and move forward because the bus keeps going to go, right? Like, you get new passengers in the bus, other passengers come and go. But in order for me to hit my mission, I needed to split paths. And this episode was a key episode for me to learn just more about it. So... As you can tell, I'm really passionate about this episode. So, Miss Denise Cooper, I am so sorry I hold back this episode for you, but this is the actual reason why. But without losing any time, I want to actually go ahead and introduce you guys to Miss Denise Cooper. She is the CEO and the founder of Remarkable Leadership Lessons, and I ran into her 
on a conference that Sherm Jacksonville Society of Human Resource Management here in Jacksonville actually had invited Miss Cooper to talk to one of their meetings and I loved her she was awesome I mean I just loved her knowledge so I went ahead and invited her to the podcast and for years she has worked very closely with executive leaderships of different uh, businesses and her main mission is to close the gap this is her thing even her podcast is called close the gap she wants to help businesses build trust again between employees and business um, she wants to increase the productivity and take the team to the next level i mean at the end of the day that's what a great consultant does and she is one you guys if you want to go ahead and connect with her, I would absolutely suggest you to go to thedenisecooper.com and that's T-H-E-D-E-N-I-S-E-C-O-O-P-E-R.com. That's her website and also absolutely connect with her on LinkedIn. It's a must, you guys. I it's a must. That's all I have to say. And you can see her resume. It's pretty amazing. We'll actually go ahead and talk a little bit more into details how she came from um, just being the average girl and just kind of taking a crazy step and going studying outside of her state and how her world and her career has changed because of these crazy steps that we sometimes make in our life. So without losing any time, I want to go ahead and let you guys listen to this interview. And Miss Denise, again, I'm so sorry I hold back this episode for a while, but I promise I had a good reason. It, it just helped me personally. I took advantage of this episode personally <laughs> and then brought it to the audience. So I hope you guys really enjoyed and let's dive in and listen to this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, guys, and investing your time to RM Podcast FL. Today's guest is Ms. Denise Cooper. She is the CEO of Remarkable Leadership Lesson, as well as the host of Closing the Gap podcast. I'm very excited to get to know Ms. Cooper a little bit more. Um, I know I met her about a week ago in a seminar here in Jacksonville, Florida, and I loved uh, her whole presentation, so I wanted to bring her to you guys and let everybody know how awesome she is and what great information she has to give to us. Hi, Ms. Cooper. How are you today? I am fabulous. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, first and foremost, I will pass the mic to you. I'll get you a chance to introduce yourself. Tell us yep. about Young You to today. Give us the saga of your life. Oh, the saga. And it is a saga. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, will, I will start by saying, you know, depending on what age you are, think of your life as chapters. Um, and so it's about having a kind of a beginning, a middle and an end. And what do you want as you're moving forward, thinking about the chapters of your life? So I was born and raised in Chicago. Um, I'm African-American. I know you can't say, tell that on the podcast, but I want you to know that because I grew up in, a, in Chicago. One of the nice things about it is, is you can stay in your, na- your neighborhood and, you know, you see people, but everybody is there. Everybody from around the world, the country, all kinds of everything. And growing up, I thought pretty much the rest of the world was like Chicago. <laughs> it's not (laughs) no it's not but you don't you know because you you when you live in Chicago or New York or San Francisco all it's about is diversity it's about all kinds of people all kinds of food you go to different next to you know different neighborhoods and stuff like that so you're always interacting with people who aren't always from the area that you are 
So my parents didn't have money. So it was like, okay, you're going to have to, my mother, Miss Louise, we call her Miss Louise. Um, she had a model. You got, you, 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 you have to get up out of here when you get to be 18, end of subject. So <laughs> no money, no college. I was really good as a secretary um, in school. I learned to type really fast. And I know people don't remember typing, but I, I was really a good typist um, and secretary, administrative assistant. But this guy came and said, hey, if you want to go to college, go to a college that's not around here. All my friends were going to, you know, as Southern Illinois, they were going to Roosevelt, they were going to local. And so my girlfriend and I were throwing darts at a chart, at a map one day and mine landed in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Oh, wow. Yes. I sent it off and they sent back, Hey, you come, we will pay your ride. <laughs> and of course I thought not a big deal. Now my mother and family are all like, are you crazy? What are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. In my mind, it was just going to be a smaller Chicago. <laughs> I got there and it was all white. And I don't mean little white. I mean, big white, no black folks. There were 25, 26 family, black families in the entire probably state. <laughs> so it was like, uh, okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. But I'll tell you the short lessons that I learned there. One is that, um, I actually learned that not everybody knows what you think they know. So it's always about their perspective. One day I was, um, I signed up for inter intramural volleyball, fell down, skinned my knee pretty badly. And my coach came over, looked at my skin. She was from North Dakota and she blurted out. And I mean, it was an instinctive blurt out of, oh my God, you're white up under there, just like me. Well, then the whole team ran over, which was all white, to look and say, oh my God, it really is only skin deep. And it was the first lesson of people really don't know a lot of questions and they don't have a way to ask questions, which are awkward, can be insensitive, um, make them look stupid because they just don't know. Um, and so we have to find a way. It's okay for people to kind of talk to you like a human being, talk to you with, even when they're not, you know, close friends, they've got these thoughts that are guiding them as to who they are, who they think you are, what they read, what they see, you know, what, what does society tell them who you are? And you can get caught up in the same stories because I have stories about white people and all kinds of ethnic people, but, or I can say, is this person true to the story, true to the stereotype and get to know them. And so that was kind of the biggest lesson that I learned there. And so during that time, it just set me off on the trail of, I'm going to go and visit country, you know, countries. I'm going to visit places. I'm going to just do things and I'm going to meet people and I'm going to try and figure out how to be okay with whoever I'm with. Now, that doesn't mean I learned to like everybody, but I tried really hard to learn how to be with any kind of person, no matter where they came from. And, and that allowed me to learn how to communicate better with people. And from that, I also learned a lot of tenacity because this is my 10th move living in, Chicago, in Charlotte, North Carolina. So I learned that every place, even in America, is different. It has a different history. It has a different tradition. People act different. They think different. Yeah, we're all kind of sort of Americans, but yeah, we're not really sort of Americans. <laughs> I can agree with that because I lived in Chicago. I lived in Atlanta and now in yeah. Jacksonville. And it's like, it's three completely different worlds. Yes. 
it's yes. yes, you are within the United States, you speak one language, but like the lifestyle, it's it's completely different. So I can fully agree with that. What they do on their off time, what what is socially acceptable in Charlotte is unheard of in LA or San Francisco. And so I think too often we think we try to group people in one bucket so it makes it easier for us to make fast decisions, but we often make wrong decisions about people. And that's the probably what I teach most leaders the most. And whether and leader for me is not the big L because there's the role of being a leader. So you're a vice president, you're a CEO, you're a director. But then each of us leads somebody. If you're a parent, you're leading your kids. You're leading your spouse. If you're a, a mother, it's a child. If you're a friend, you're trying to be a good friend and lead them, you know, influence them around what they're doing, what they're thinking through hard times, through bad times, et cetera. So we're all always influencing somebody for some reason. And so that's kind of what I thought about. And so I've gone from there and I went to South Dakota, then I was in Nebraska, then I was in Arkansas, then I was in St. Louis, and then I was in Muscatine, Iowa, and then went to um, Ohio and then back to St. Louis and then um, San Francisco. Um, I had territories, I used to work for unions um, AFL-CIO, the building construction trades, and so um, and amalgamated clothing workers. Um, so I learned what it was like to be on the worker side and representing workers. And then I got a chance, um, which was just happenstance. I was coming back from New York on a flight, second next to a vice president of um, Monsanto, and uh, excuse me, the president of one of Monsanto's businesses. And by the end of the flight, he said, "If you ever decide you don't want to work for a union, come work for us." And that was kind of the beginning of my corporate career. <laughs> In one chapter, started another chapter um, out of it. And so then I was, I worked my way up. I went to Muscatine, Iowa. I was in a plant, HR, worked my way up to um, senior director at Monsanto and then decided, you know, this stuff is really easy. And one of the things that, that I got a chance to do is I was one of 36 people who got a chance to take a year sabbatical to actually work, look out across the world and see what is HR going to be like in what then would have been the 20, like 21st century. And so I got to meet these amazing people and they, we were all talking about how great, the 36 of us, we were always talking about how good we were in comparison to the companies we were doing benchmarks against, who the professors we were talking to, all of this. And I, you know, downsizing, right-sizing, I got a chance to go, I went to the Gap, had a fun time at the Gap, and that's the chapter of my life where I started beginning why strategy doesn't work. And the big deal is, is that we spend an awful lot of time figuring out kind of, sort of where we want to go, but we don't know how to bring people along. We don't know how to set good goals. We don't know how to hold people accountable. We don't often even know how to hold ourselves accountable. Um, for the goals that we set for our own life. We kind of have this feeling, most people have this feeling of, you know, something is going to guide me to the right thing. And so we go from place to place, time to time, polite to polite, always polite, always open. And we kind of want to be pick me. And that's really a big thing with women. We really want to be picked. We don't want to have to ask for it. And no one can read your mind. So if you're not telling somebody and you're expecting them to read their mind, much like my professor or my coach, 
they're probably going to be wrong. <laughs> yes. And you're going to be disappointed and you're going to wind up with an expectation hangover, which is, I expected you to do this. You didn't. I feel lousy. And I don't understand why you don't do what I asked you to do when I didn't tell you what to do. You should know me. So I have a question though, because I know females sometimes, and I actually had this conversation yesterday uh, with another guest on the episode uh, that is going to launch soon. We're talking about females not asking uh, all the time for what they want or not yes. being clear because they're hesitant. They're supposed to be, um, which it's, I, I wish it wasn't, but a lot of females have been like treated like little princesses since they were little. So they just get given stuff without asking because their dad or their mom spoiled them. It's like, here you go, here you go. So now they're used to like handing things out instead of asking for them and putting the work out sometimes. But like, how do you, how do you stand as a strong female in a corporate world? Cause that's not easy. Um, it's not easy because we come in with many women come in with a mindset of, either of if I do my work, then they will see me and they will reward me. And the reality is, is a corporation is just made up of people and trust is a huge thing. So if you don't ask, then you become distrustful. And when you become distrustful, others read that energy of distrust as weariness, lack of self-confidence, not ready for the tough game, whatever that means. Um, we don't get assignments that we need to, um, to be ready for the next level. And, and you're not in that circle of where that conversation happens that you learn what's necessary at the next level. And so this idea of if I just keep my head down, I do my work, um, yes, that makes you a good employee but mm -hmm. it doesn't necessarily make you be seen as someone who even desires to want to go higher in the organization. I see. But um, for the, cause you did mention you also work on the worker side. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you this, when you work with corporates, do you take for consideration what the bottom line employee, the tier one employees thinking? before you take actions to the top CEO? Um, so now I have my own business mm -hmm. so, and um, either the, I'm always hired by an individual. We talk about corporations as this like monolithic thing, but it's really one person says, hey, Denise, come in and help us do X. And so I'm either working with that executive to mm -hmm. help them understand how to um, develop their folks in a way that both benefits the company and that individual. Because if you can balance that out, um, integrate that is probably a better way of saying it. If you can integrate that and be clear about that, then the employee is going to do a better job because now you're adding perspective and you're helping them develop foresight. And those are the kinds of things, and as well as developing skills. So let's take it to a kind of a real life example because I think we're getting a little too um, theoretical. So um, in one case, I had a, um, let's see, which one do I want to talk about? I had a, a, a woman who um, was about to go into her uh, first C-suite um, annual meeting. And so it was a, you know, it's known as a gauntlet at her level. She's a vice president. 
Um, it's, and so people had told her that if you do bad in there, your career is over, they're going to grill you, it's brutal, you know, they're going to be firing questions at you, etc. And so she had gotten just like, you know, really nervous and I don't know what I'm going to do and all of this stuff like that. And what I told her was, and is that it's not a make or break. At that level, what they're doing is testing to see, can you handle the pressure of being at a C-suite? Because when you're at that C-suite, you are faced with employees, stakeholders, board members, um, the press, all of that. And they are going to come at you not in a planned moment. They're going to come at you like you walking down the street and then we find out, oh, you're the so-and-so of XYZ company. You could run into a reporter right there and be on the spot. And so you've got to be on your feet, on your toes and be able to look cool and calm. Even when you're not cool and calm, you have to think through what you're going to say and you have to present a good, good brand, a good um, a story that will engage people, but also be truthful so that you're with that. And so she was really nervous about that. But after we had this conversation of what the point of this is, is that they just want to see how you think. They want to see what your accomplishments are. They want to see, do you tell the truth? Those kinds of things. So you hold your presence, you do that. She went in there. She was um, the second one in the meeting. They had a full day of it. Um, before she got back to her car, her boss who was in there sent her um, a text saying, you set the stage for everybody else. Because she was, she was able to tell her story. She was able to explain to them what her strategy was, how she implemented the strategy and what the numbers were, what changed as a result of her and her team doing what they had, what they had planned to do the full year. And so that's the piece that I think most, most women in particular don't always recognize, that just because a meeting is tough, just because your boss is short with you, just because they're firing questions at you, doesn't mean that they don't like you, doesn't, don't support you, um, don't feel, find you valuable. But that part of it is, is that you've got to be able to be prepared for that moment when you're leading a team and a team member comes up to you or an employee comes up to you with some oddball question and you can't be rattled. You've got to be thoughtful. You have to understand what you're doing. You have to understand what the key things that need to get done and you need to be able to hold people accountable for their own crap because people will put their crap on you. That's so true. The, I, I can't, I'm impressed a little bit of the way you attack the situation and you give her a pep talk, but also tell her, told her the truth. Like, when did you realize you're good at that? Because it takes a lot of skills to give a pep talk and a little push at the same time. Like it's yeah. a lot, it's a lot that to, to get to, how, how did you get to that level? Yeah, I had, a, um, I had a male client tell me one time, Denise, you're the only person who can smack me upside the head and, not, and I won't know it for five minutes. <laughs> yeah, like the way that I, the way you, you talk, like you're telling the story, the way you talk to her, it's like a slap in the face and a pat in the back. Like, yeah. like yes. how did you get there? Because it's not easy to do that. Um, I think, um, I can't say I was always that good. Um, and what I started understanding that I was good at is being able to cut through and see exactly what it is that you're missing in the story um, and how to help you frame it, either when you're speaking about it or you're thinking about it in a way that you can do something about it. 
So my first intent, whenever I'm working with a client, whether it's, you know, the VP of HR or, um, you know, SVP over operations or an employee who's out here just trying to find the best, next best job. The first thing I try to help you understand is what is it you're really good at and how do you leverage what you're really good at? And then what are you most likely going to experience in that situation? So before you get in that situation, we are talking through at the most probably minor Monisha level of what is it that you're going to do? And then I have you write it out and then practice it. And so um, for those of you who are really deep geeks, because I'm a deep geek, it actually is a science of formation of habits. Um, and, um, you know, Angela Duckworth and Amy Chetty and, and others are all now talking about what you have to do is you have to visualize exactly what's going to happen and you write not only what your goal is out of it but if then statements so if this happens then bingo <laughs> as soon as you said it i had to for you listeners out there i just i just pulled out a book because i was like yes i love i love this book and she does yes, yes. So you remember, you remember that, right? And uh, sorry, I just got excited because I was like, "Yes, I've read this." <laughs> I know this one. I know this one. Um, and so these if-then statements help your help trick your brain into being prepared for it. And so through our conversation, and and they're pretty much standard questions. I mean, there really aren't. Uh, people think that there's these magic questions that executives have, etc. And they there really aren't. There's you know they want to know what you're going to do. They want to know what steps you're going to take. You know, uh, uh, let, me, let me slow down. Every executive, every person only has four goals at work. The first is understand where you're going. When you get there, what does done look like? So you can call it a vision at the CEO level, at the call center level. It's I need to get X number of calls in at such and such a time and I need to make you know, $22, boom. That's your, that is the, when it's done, that's it. The second thing is, is understand your resources. So what do you need to do it? Who's available? What can you delegate? And even people who don't delegate can delegate some things off. Sometimes you give it to your boss and say, hey, you need to take this, but delegate. Then follow, follow up to make sure that what you talked about they actually understood and are doing it and then ensure follow through. And the trick I think is, is in the last two. So many leaders are really bad at follow up and follow through because we've got this word called micromanaging and bad bosses micromanage. When micromanaging may be what they're doing, but it usually is a signal they don't trust you. So something you've done has triggered them to know that they need to stay on you about doing it. So person doesn't come to work on time. Something really, really simple. Well, I'm only five minutes late. Well, no, you're supposed to be there at eight. You come in at 8.05. That tells me that you're not trustworthy on being on time. You told me, we had this discussion last Tuesday. You told me you were going to follow up and let me know what happened on Friday. You didn't. Yes, you waited till Monday morning and told me, but you didn't follow your word, which means now I have to think about yeah. 
you and then ensure and follow through. If, when I finish a conversation, when I tell my clients, I always say, if you've got agreements and your boss has said that they will do X, then just ask the question, how will I know that this is complete without tracking you down? Because it feels kind of icky and I don't want to be bugging you, whatever that end statement is. But it's really about how will I know it's done without me having to follow you or chase you down? With, now it makes me accountable for getting back to you. And if I get back to you, then that's a ding in the trust bucket. I don't have, I, if you tell me your word, bingo, I know. If you can't do it, you still get back to that person and say, hey, I've had some complications. This mm -hmm. is what's happened. Da, da, da. And so it's really just following through on that. That's the biggest problem. And that's what they're really looking at. And most people don't want to manage that. They don't want to talk about it. So going back to what we talked about before, I don't want to ask. I don't want to tell them that they miss because then I'm a bad person or I may make them too nervous or I want to, da, da. you can tell anybody anything. It's all in how you tell them. It's cool. all in how you built the trust level with them. But sometimes though, I feel like the lead, the higher executive leadership doesn't give the management, the frontier management, for example, the chance to lead because they would have nonstop meetings and they would have like nonstop getting together and like continuous changes. So you might have the resources and you might have the follow-up, but like you're not giving them a chance to take action. Like I know you touched this a little bit on the seminar that you did too, but like I feel like a lot of like on a corporate level wise, mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes this is an issue because you just want to give, 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 but you're not throwing them in the water to swim and actually, you know, put to practice all that you're giving them. You're, you're managing them, like you're micromanaging them to like the dot, like you do this, you do this, you do this. Like, I feel like that's, that's another issue though, when it comes to like actually trusting your people. Yes. Because you haven't demonstrated that a, you can push back. So oftentimes people will get mad because you know, you're, you're having all these meetings to make sure I do what it is. The meeting is not the problem. So you're asking the wrong question. Why are we meeting? The question you should be asking is, what does it take for you to know that I will get this done? Hmm. Change the question. See the difference? So if I I'm see. being meeting to death, then I'm going to go, okay, something's broken here. Have I not met a deadline? Have I not allowed you to trust me? that I can do it. Sometimes it's, I don't have the skill and no one's told me I don't have the skill to do what they're asking me to do. And they're testing me, but they don't know how to train. We assume that managers know how to not only run the operation, but also train, diagnose issues, performance issues, et cetera. And oftentimes they don't. I mean, you're in, you're in, you've been at B school, um, business school, how many courses did they give you in managing people versus managing product and inventory and finances around it and IT systems? Not very many. Uh, I've learned more HR on other books. There you well. go. <laughs> and you had to learn it on the fly. Yeah. Right. You know, and you had to sit back and put it. Okay. Well, I did this and I think it worked because I did this and this. Let me try it again. So you're out here in the wilderness kind of, feeling your way through the process. And we all think that HR is supposed to help us do that, but not every HR and most HR functions are so tasked with um, compliance issues. They don't have time to be coaching. They don't have time to figure out what it looks like. 
they don't have time to help you diagnose what is actually going on. So remember in the um, presentation I gave, I had the chart of the guy who was in all these meetings. And people and had a 10 minute delay. Yeah, yeah. And so when he charted it out, he looked and saw everybody's late 10 minutes. It's because he had trained them that the meeting's not going to start till 10 minutes after. And he didn't even realize that he trained them doing that by holding the meeting 10 minutes till everybody got there. So we do these things and we don't even know it because we're just trying to figure out how to, you know, how to tread water sometimes. And there's no one really kind of going, hey, did you know that you're really training people to do X when you want them to do Y? That's where I come in. That's what I help people figure out is you say you want X, but you're doing Y or you're allowing people to do Z, that's not gonna get you to X. How can we construct a conversation to help them understand you really wanna support them, but they need to do blah, 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 blah. How do you have that critical conversation though? Cause I'm sure you'll get pushback at first. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, most of it is, it ain't my fault. <laughs> this is how it's done. This is how it's this always is how done. It's done. Yes. <laughs> not my fault. <laughs> don't blame me I'm just doing what they told me to do <laughs> it's uh, yeah that's a lot of work though to change a culture around something because if they've done it for it's like it's a habit you know it takes a while to change the habit once you're like this is how it's done and that habit is just going to stick in there for you yeah but you know, if we sit on how you said it it take, takes a lot to change a culture actually it doesn't as human beings we all want to be connected and so if you only manage, if you only worry about your team as a leader, then you'll get what you need and they will free you up to manage your peers. And then you just have to manage your boss. I see. Um, I, I also have another question, Ms. Cooper, because on your business card on the back of it, it says, ask about using behavior assessments and, on, uh, and onboarding performance. Um, and you do have the disc, which yep. you did mention in the presentation too. You do have disc leadership, critical thinking. Um, tell us about personality testing. Whenever you, uh, whenever you do work with a client, do you have them take a personality test so you can kind of know them better? And so yes. you know how to coach them better? <laughs> yes, yes. And um, I, so I did not like personality tests before I started my business. I, really? Because, yes, and I'll tell you why. I, um, well, I'll give you a good example of it. I'll give you actually two examples. So being the senior HR person, one of the things we started doing at one of my companies is, is that we wanted everybody to go to a leadership camp and they did a full battery of personality tests, et cetera. So my, my employees, my managers who were white all came back and they were energized. They were trying to do something, blah, 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 blah. But I noticed three weeks later, whatever they had learned, they were back to what they were. But I also noticed that my um, African-American and women who went, they were devastated by the feedback that they were getting. And it took them four to, four, four to five months to get back on their feet. So I was like, no, this is not it. The second time um, I started saying this is not working is, is I went for a VP job of HR at a company that wanted diversity. And they had a battery of tests and da, 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 da. And so I was talking to the psychologist because they had a psychologist who actually 
did the debrief on it. And I went through the whole thing. He asked me if I had any other questions. I said, yes, I do. How long have you been with this company? He said he'd been with the company for about 10 years. I said, great. How long have you been giving this assessment? Oh, I've been giving this assessment to every executive. Every executive who gets hired has to get through this and blah, blah, blah. I said, wonderful. So help me understand how I'm going to pass this assessment. He goes, what? What are you talking about? I said, I don't really have a lot of faith that I'm going to pass the assessment. He says, why? Why would you say that? I mean, you, you don't think you're good enough for the job? And I remember him saying that. And I looked at him, I said, no, because I'm evidence-based. And every manager from director to CEO is white and male, which tells me you have a bias in your assessment. Ah. And, he didn't have, and he looked just like you're looking. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, my, my jaw is like dropped right now. I'm like, okay. I would never think, that's kind of, that's a little messed up. I would never think, oh my goodness. See, like, I like the, I like the leadership, like testing and stuff, but like, I never thought of this point. Like, they, oh, okay. Sorry, I'm still in shock here. Okay. Yes. So, so now the question becomes, well, if those two experiences happen to you, why would you ever do this? It's because all of these assessments actually were written not to help make hard and fast selection processes or selection decisions. They're just there to tell you what your habits are, what your preferences are. And when we're looking at preferences and habits, we have to understand what the strategy of the company is. So if you're a company that's you know, 50 years old, you don't see that the world is changing around you, the leadership is like, we're, you know, we're a monopoly, or you know, we got the market on it, we don't really need a lot of new people, then don't bring people in who have a personality around creativity and innovation, speed. <laughs> they need to do it. They need to be somewhere else, so not even you're killing their time. And okay, I follow yes. you. And so that's what you're looking for. And so you should be able to tell the person, our culture is one of slow. We're not into innovation. We're, you know, we need people who do the work, who just come in. So think of the call center. Mm -hmm. I don't want creative people on the call center. I want you to follow the script, do it, and get it done. Okay, because that's, I want that experience to be the very same experience on there. Now, you can get slightly creative, but really you're about maintaining the process that we have done. If yep. we say you got to be there on the call for a minute and a half, then our expectation is you're on the call at a minute and a half, not three minutes. Zappos is different. You could be on the call for a day <laughs> if the client will stay there, but that's their culture. So you want to find people who fit that. You don't want people who just tell me what the rules are in a culture like Zappos. Does that make sense? It does fully make sense because I do work in a calling center and there mm -hmm. is certain rules that I have to stick through, even though my brain bounces, like try to find different, a different pitch or trying to find different ways to like, because I work sales, so trying to find like different ways to drop the sale or to do this, they, they still have certain limitation of what yes. I can and cannot say. Yes. And I'm like, but it works. Like I've mm -hmm. tried it and it works. It says, well, no, you need to follow the script. Yes. 
Like, and I, and I can fully relate to that point. Yes. As you can yes. tell I got my hair up. So I'm like, actually like, I'm like, yes, this is me right now. I live this life. Like, yes, that is yes. so true though. Yes. Cause yes. he bl- so, like, so imagine this now. So now imagine how you're feeling when you now understand, oh, this is a culture fit. So I, I, I know I'm not going to be fully passionate in this job. But I need this job to get to the next level. So yes. now it's not about you. It's not about even when your boss says, no, you know, you're, you're really not good at doing this. You're the, no, you know exactly. It's not about me. It's about fit. I'm in the wrong job, but I took this job because I need to get such and such and such done. And I need to be able to turn it a different way. Yeah. So, so now you've not only helped the person but see who, what, they, what they do really, really well, what they're passionate about doing. You also have helped the company understand how to figure out what the right role is for that person and how much um, creativity is too much creativity in that role. And that's the point of it. It's not to say you're going to get hired and you're not going to get hired. It's about really saying, mm, you know what? I like this person's spirit. I like this with this person. Now we should be talking about, hey, you know what? Um, this job is really gonna, not going to be hard for you to do, but it's going to tax your passion. Are you okay with that? But that and conversation like, doesn't happen. Never, ever happens. No, never happens. And that's another point, like whenever never you have happens. the presentation. Never, it rarely happens. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it rarely, rarely happens. And that's another thing that, like I mentioned, whenever you asked the question to the presentation that you gave last week, I said, I, corporates, I don't think the, the retention, like the recruiting is correct because yes. they don't ask those questions. They just need to fill up those numbers. And they I like, and it, I feel like it's sad because it shouldn't happen like this. If you want your company to be successful, I understand you're going to work the nine to five or understand you work the 40 hours and all my listeners out there. I understand that that's everybody wants to be an entrepreneur, but guess what? You have to work nine to five at some point to build their, you know, to build their resume, to learn those skills. But this company brings so many people in the door that you might've felt a little pressure on your creativity. Now you're just like, I can't like, I'm like, I, cannot even, I can't even like put my hat up because there's yeah. so many more people. Yeah. This yeah. is like touching me. Like this is like hitting home for me right now. Yeah. 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 And, that, yeah that, and that's, that's, but once you understand, Oh, this is, this is where I fit over here. You make better decisions and your company makes better decisions. And so I, you know, I said in the presentation, you know, I worked for a company, we had inbound calls um, and, you know, it was rent a car in between April and August, we had to hire, you know, 3000 people to get them in, get those calls in, make sure we had our schedules filled, handle this, you know, all kinds of things. We had to look for people that who first could be maintainers. Here's the script, do the script, learn the script as fast as you possibly can. Then we had to look for people who really could be stuck on a, on a uh, head on the phone, you know, cause everybody says, Oh, you can be on the phone. I talk on the phone all the time. No, you this don't understand. Different. Yeah. This is way different. <laughs> this is being on the phone. At Eight least hours, two and a half hours before I tell you when you can go pee. Because <laughs> okay? I have to schedule when you can go pee. Right? Yes. <laughs> so it's a whole different world. And so by taking them through, just even one of the things we did was we let people 
just come and see. You know, so if you got past the first screening, then come in, okay, then we just want you to see what it looks like and to have the headphones on, to see, to feel what it was like when that headphone, but that jack only gave you two steps from your chair. <laughs> see, but I feel like, like oh, no. yeah, no. I feel like if you get the chance to see how it is, yeah. you're not going to come fully in the door. Yes. And guess what? What happens? We get a high turnover rate. That's why call centers have 120, 130% turnover. Because which is better? I get you in the door. You're only there three days. Now, from an HR point of view, maybe that's not a big problem. But from a line manager's point of view, that's a heck of a big problem. You have them. money on training. You have money wasted. Just time itself. You have yes. recruitment. Somebody else could have gotten the job, but you took the time to interview this person. Yep. It's, it's and, so where, and see, and here's where the invisible cost is wear and tear on the manager, right? Because yes. every new person who comes into the group changes the dynamics of the group. Yes. It changes the person, the way the manager has to, to deal with that person and everybody else in the group has to, to, to um, integrate with that person. And so now they're in, then they're gone. Now they're in, then they're gone. Well, guess what the group decides? Well, you know what? You got to prove yourself before we, which now puts up another barrier. Why, well, why should I even stick around? Because they haven't even let me, you know, so it's such an interesting dynamic and call centers are really easy to watch because we know everything. We know the time you pick up the call, what was said on the call, when you took the call, did you sell? Did you follow the script? Did you not follow the script? We can hear your inflections. We can hear how the employee, how the person calling in felt. We hear, we know more about it. So it, so when you start listening and looking at the environment, it's pretty easy to manage that unlike a corporate environment. But I can guarantee you the same dynamics that happen in a call center are exactly the same dynamics that are happening in a corporation. Because how we do anything is how we do everything. And it's kind of funny how you say it, like you, you'll get to know everything that happens in a call center. My employer recently launched a new program that before, instead of listening to the calls, now it's a program that can see the enthusiasm oh, yes. just yes. by your pitch. And it's like a certain note that you need to hit in order to be considered satisfaction, uh, like satisfied for the call, which it's like the technology advancements nowadays is so crazy, but like, that's how like detail, like they'll mm -hmm. know when to pull a call just mm -hmm. by looking at, did Romina hit this pitch or did Romina hit this level during this call? If she didn't, we need to pull the call and find what's wrong. And the mm -hmm. call could have been just perfect, mm -hmm. just perfect with a very low tone, you know, having a conversation, but she didn't hit that. Like mm -hmm. it's getting to that point controlling which mm -hmm. that's what it's getting the employees out of that creativity, out of that. Mm -hmm. It can be done. I'm not going to go 100% your way, and I'm going to go 75% your way, and I'm going to get it done better. But how, how, do you, um, how do you talk to upper management to say, hey, I have this great idea. I think you guys should change the pitch. I think you guys should do this. Um, ask the, first, ask the question, um, what does success look like? And what is it you really want? And they'll say, well, what we want is we want sales. Great. Yeah. So if you, do you want sales or do you want me to manage to the pitch? Do you want sales or do you want long-term customers? Do you want long-term customers? Do you want to manage to the pitch? Because the issue you brought up is the pitch. 
Yeah. So if the pitch is, and you're right, because my tone and my pitch is going to be very different depending on the customer or the client I'm working with. So I have yes. some clients who are like you, high energy, and we got a bang, bang, bang. And if you listen to the call, it's boom, 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 laughter generation. You know, we're talking, we're talking about dogs and blah, 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 blah. That's but so true. That's see, so me. <laughs> yeah. But when, but when you look at the call, I touched everything I needed to touch with that client to get them to the next level. Yeah. But then there are other clients that I have who are extremely methodical. They're very slow in tone. They're very slow in their cadence. And you'll hear me go down. I'll speak softer. I will go, step one is, now step two, please tell me what you heard. Okay, how would you handle that situation? And, it, and you'll hear silence and you'll hear them thinking and I have, to, I have to be able to adjust to that particular individual. There are other people who, I mean, they literally are so in pain and scared because of what's happened in their job um, or in their personal life that they, you can hear the pain in them. And before I can get them to think about their work, I've got to help them find a way to manage the pain that's in their life in a different way. And so they, they haven't looked at themselves. They haven't, um, they've been beaten down so much that they don't know what their strengths are or what their weaknesses are or how they're playing out. They don't understand that they're in such fear all the time that they're not really interacting with the world, but they're acting with the world. And so they show up very differently than they think in their brain because they don't see, the brain doesn't see, oh, you're in fear, oh, you're in trust. It doesn't work that way. There's no clear like signal, bing, 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 trust, boom, 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 fear. And so they can live in fear all the time and react from a place of fear. So they're fighting all the time. They're running all the time. They're just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do all the time versus somebody who's engaged and in it. And so I've got to be able to go up and down and in and out with each one of them. But I know I have either a 30 minute call or a 60 minute call with them. And I've got to get them from point A to point B, not only within that call, but I've got only six months to really kind of work with them about getting them from, you said you wanted this, I've got to help you understand why you're not getting it. Practice what you need to do. Make sure that you're doing the practices adjusting it so with your skill level as well as by the end of the six months i have to figure out that did you really make your goals so it's so, a very and, and and that i i will be it will be interesting to see how technology will see that kind of thing from my voice and uh, i want your opinion on this too uh before mm -hmm. we do jump to the last question um Typically, management focuses on the bottom tier uh, employees, like the yes. employees that need most yeah. help. Yeah. Um, and they sometimes tend to ne uh, neglect the people at the top, like the people Absolutely. that just needs like, hey, great job, or just like a little push, you know, like a little high five. Um, and I've seen people at the top being discouraged and not feeling uh, honored. Like we know the five love languages, you know, like mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. a word of affirmation or just like mm -hmm. physical mm -hmm. touch, just like a tap on the back. Absolutely. Like, what do you, how do you, what do you think about it? Like, do you think this is right to focus on the bottom tier more than the top people or should it be like I'll, kind I'll of split? You, I'll give you a quick analogy that I use with HR people. Every okay. HR person has, does performance reviews and they know what the bell curve looks like. So, you know, 
Um, they're bottom performers, top performers, everybody else is in the middle. What I told managers and I told HR is you can spend all your, you're spending 80% of your time on the bottom 15% employees. If you just looked at the people in the middle, so it's a bell curve. When you hit the middle of that, it means 50% of your folks are underperforming, period. 50% are performing at or above standard on it. If you move that bell where you've got kind of 30 to 40%, one standard deviation over, Peter Drucker said that you will increase the bottom line net income of a company by five to 10%. He said that back in the like 60s and 70s. That has not changed. So the fact that we spend all our time trying to figure out this bottom 15% of disengaged employees, poor performing employees is only holding a company back. They will fall off the chart if you're managing the others because they'll move past that. Oh, they're just kind of mediocre, just above the line. They're going to fall off because this, the, the performance standard moves over time. And those people will fall off really, really quick, 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 quick. And you don't have to worry about it. And they will self-select out. One of my prideful, the things that I prided myself on is that the majority of people who were designated as poor performer chose to self-select out versus the company having to let them go. I'm, I'm loving this. Like, this is just hitting, hitting real. <laughs> I'm <laughs> loving this because I'm living that life right now. So mm -hmm. like it, it, on my eyes, it's to a whole different level. And for the longest time, I thought I was wrong because I get told differently in my, from my employee and I get told differently in my work environment. So I thought I was wrong. But this, like, looking at it from your side of you, like, how you're breaking it down for me, like, and, like, just talking about creativity and talking about, like, because I always thought it was wrong even for management to focus at the bottom employees compared to the top employees. Because I've seen great employees that have potential for great management, for great leadership, let go, like, going because they weren't understood or they weren't mm -hmm. paid attention, even mm -hmm. if that attention is five seconds a day. Like, that's it, mm -hmm. five seconds. Mm -hmm. And I thought I was wrong, but no, I, apparently not. Like it's, it, it is an issue. Yeah, it is an issue. And that's, and we have huge amounts of systems, time and processes to manage that 15%. And we spend the rest of the 80 ish percent of employees. We talk to them three times a year in a performance appraisal, if best. And yep. still we see 70% of employers only talk to their employees about their performance, maybe two, but mostly one time a year at the end of the year. And that's ridiculous because if you could just help them see, broaden their, and it's really about broadening their perspective, understanding how they, they connect in the way the promise, the brand promise is rolled out from the time you have, uh, you know, the first customer walk in through the experience, through collecting the money. If you can just help them all see how that works, people will step up to the plate because none of us, I promise you, nobody wakes up in the morning saying, I'm going to be a sucky employee today. <laughs> I'm going to be a really ratty human being today. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't happen. We, no. we are not fulfilling our potential. We are not filling the promise that or the 
the desires and the needs of the company, not because we don't want to, it's because we don't know how to. You're either not telling me how to do it, I don't have the skill to do it, or what you're telling me to do doesn't align with who I am, my values, my mission, or my, my passion. That is so true though, because if you show them from zero to a hundred, like this is our mission, this is from scratch, we start here, here's the process, this is why your role is important, this is how you help towards our mission, this is how you help to our long-term and to our goal, it's such a much clearer vision yeah. And even if you don't feel like you feel demotivated or you don't feel like working one day, if you have that vision clear to you, you're going to take ownership and say, I'm going to do this today because I'm going to help one customer because this is what we do. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to like that. Like, so if you, if you do have that vision goal, like it, that would be so much more helpful right. towards employees. Right. Exactly. And it, and it's not just customer facing. So it could be somebody sitting in the finance department. Mm-hmm. How does me doing accounting help a manager make a better decision? Do you understand that? Do you know that? If you're, you know, if you're sitting in procurement, mm -hmm. do you understand that how, how the people that you say are good vendors are actually making the life better for either the end customer or the operations people who have to actually use this? When you're rolling out a new IT system, do you really understand how people adopt change? Do you understand why they don't adopt the change? Do you understand how it goes in their work? I'll tell you this last story and I know we got to go to the next one is I started one of, one of the first cut clients that I started with, he worked in insurance, very mm -hmm. big insurance company. He was a um, agent and he had a team of people with him. He would get up at four o'clock in the morning. His people didn't come in until eight, but he would get up at four o'clock in the morning every day to go in the office just to sort through all the dictates, emails, strategies, new initiatives that came from corporate so that when his people at eight o'clock, he could tell them the one or two things that was most important and keep them focused on what they need to do. Now imagine this guy is getting up at 4 a.m. in the morning, getting to work at five and for three hours going through corporate emails on new rates, new marketing, new promotions, new compliance, new this, new that, new the other. So if he didn't act as a barrier for his employees, do you know what his, his he never would have hit his numbers? Never. But that's the stuff that is invisible. That's the stuff that nobody tracks. It's what we talked about at the, pre, at the presentation. That's the stuff that really matters in the workplace. That's so true because there's this one department that currently has eight new eight pilots. Mm -hmm. The employees are so lost yes. that they're quitting. They're leaving. Oh, yeah. there's I, I, had a, hey, eight, I had a client. They I mean, had 15 consultants in. 15 consultants in. Each one of them. Yes. Look at your face. I know. <laughs> trying to help the employees. Do you know how much work they were all getting done? And which consultant do you want? And they're all, all over the same thing. They were stepping over managers' toes about what they were supposed to do. They were giving feedback. They had hours and hours of meetings to diagnose the process and, the, and what the end results were. And we need you to draw these numbers out of finance. You imagine, I mean, how many times they did. And then at the end of these consultants dancing in and out, because every consultant's job is to go deeper in your pocket. Trust me on that one. <laughs> they regurgitated what the employees said in a nice PowerPoint presentation 
and then said, well, we can help you implement. And so the management team is now saying, oh yeah, we're gonna help you implement. Imagine what the employees were saying. We do the work. What do you mean they're gonna help us implement? We came up with those ideas. What do you mean now all of a sudden those ideas are the new sunshine for our company? That's how you demote your employees, demotivate your employees. That's why you don't make, remember what I started to say, strategy is strategy. I don't care where you want to go. You want to go to the moon, you want to go to Mars, you want to go to Jupiter. I don't really care. Pick a direction. Any direction is a good direction. The only thing that matters is can you put together a process? Can you engage your employees? Can you engage your stakeholders and get them aligned so that they all are working in concert to get there as fast as possible in the, in the most you know, effective way? And employee surveys are so important. Like you actually, I, uh, we had town hall meetings for my, uh, for my employee. Um, and it was what's wrong. Cause they did like surveys, oh, yeah. like what's wrong, what's this. And I actually did talk for about 15 minutes to the VP of the sales department and the director. And I was just like giving ideas and I was like this is what's wrong like this is coming from somebody that is doing day in and day out the job of an, of an agent of a sales agent this is what's wrong um and at first he wasn't very welcome which I was like it's okay I was like I still like I'm trying to help you because I can just mm -hmm. be like Romina has her own life and Romina mm -hmm. doesn't need to help other 400 500 employees that we have going on mm -hmm. so they hired a consulting company and they changed the strategy they did what I told them, mm -hmm. which I was like, you, like, you need to literally listen to your frontline agents. Like you need to, to listen to them. But a lot of people, a lot of corporates don't because mm -hmm. they have a process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or the other one I heard is, is that, you know, um, um, we need to get, you know, a Bain or a McKenzie or somebody in here to do it because then the board will never agree that that's the right thing to do. No, you just want to see a CYA. Yeah. Because if, if, if they say it, then you can say, well, we just paid for the wrong advice or something like that. But if employees say it, then you own it. So we need way of getting out of it. Oh my goodness. This is like, this is, this is touching home for me a lot I have to say because this is stuff that I've been dealing with since May that like stuff that I want to come and like help out and like try to do and this is just a whole different level for me <laughs> yeah, but it's not just you I mean I can I can tell you that yeah. you know 95% of employees suffer through this sometime during their career it is the number it is one of the top three factors why we are not very good at implementing and it's not just about Americans, it's about everybody. This is the, the issue here of what is really important. What is it that we're really trying to do? And what's stopping us personally from stepping up and doing it? You know, whether it's, you know, deciding to listen to employees or call in a McKinsey or a Bain or, you know, um, uh, what is it, any of the other big companies out there mm -hmm. to, to help us um, figure out what the answers are about it. It doesn't matter what people tell you the answers are. The only thing that matters is, is do you have the wherewithal to implement? And Sorry. nine times out of 10, oh, well, what will it do to me? And no one explains what it will do to me if I have to change. I see. Who will I become 
because I know me as this person. Now you're asking me to become somebody else. I, I'm the nice guy. I don't have conflict. I don't talk to, you know, I don't, I don't do those things. I don't, I want people who just get it. I don't want to have to be angry at them. I don't want to have conflict in my workplace. Well, guess what? Creativity generates conflict. You should not want rancor, which means we emotionally have attached to the we have emotionally attached ourselves. We identify with whether you accept my idea, not me as a human being, yeah. and then I hold it over in some other behavior. But me and you arguing over, hey, I think this is a better way and that's a better way, that, that isn't it. And oh, by the way, guess what? I understand, boss, that you make the big bucks and you're supposed to make the decision. All I ask is for a little respect that says, hey, I heard what you said. We ran it through the chops. We can't get it done this way, but we're looking at doing it this way. Is that okay with you? That's it. I mean, that really is. I, I wish my employee would hire you as a consultant, <laughs> not the company that they currently are. And the Me too. I agree. I agree. And I'm being very honest. <laughs> it's just, I, I wish that was the case scenario. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Um, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, let me put another plug out there. So I'm, I, uh, I'm committed to write a book. It's supposed to be out for Christmas sales. It has a, it's full of all these coaching stories that I have. Yeah. Um, and hopefully it will give people uh, from all kinds of ways how to have that, you know, how to change your results by changing one conversation at a time. And so I learning how to have a powerful conversation that really does help people focus on what's important follow up and follow through. I would love to read that book. Yeah. You got so, it. Yeah. So whatever it's out, I have to, I don't know if you have like a website yet or whatever you do have a website so people can uh, pre-subscribe or pre-order. Let yep. me know. I'll share it. And I would love to read that book. Cause I know it's going to be it. a lot of great material there. You got it. You got oh it. my goodness. And then my very last famous question. Yep. And I feel like this is going to be an interesting definition from you. What is your personal definition of success? Um, my personal definition of success is every day that I can help someone else find who they truly are and gain the courage to go after what they want, knowing that who they are and where they end is still okay. That's a good day. That's a good day. I take care of my mother. I gave up my corporate career to make sure my parents are there because they sacrifice so that I could have a fabulous career. And I had, a, I mean, I, I have to tell you, I'm envious now of my own career. Uh, <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but I, it is about the circle of life. And the only thing is that, um, you know, for me, mean success is that we're all connected and that we're all here to do good for one another. We have to be humans at the end of the day. At the end of the day, you got to be who you are. That's, that's good. I like that mm -hmm. one. I haven't got mm -hmm. that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, for, thank you. Thank you again for all your time and for uh, investing your time and being a part of our podcast. And it was again, funny. It was fun. It was fun. <laughs> thank you. And if people do want to get a hold of you, if you do want to give us your website or a great uh, contact, um, you know what? I'm on LinkedIn. So just look for Denise Cooper. That's um, probably the easiest and the best way for everybody to do it. Um, 
my um, um, Twitter is uh, Coach D Cooper. So if you want to hit me up on Twitter, you can do that and just send me a question um, or just connect and kind of follow and see what's going on. The other is, is that um, probably the easiest email, if you want to send me a quick email, is uh, Denise, D-E-N-I-S-E, at um, Denise Cooper, C-O-O-P-E-R-I-N-C dot com. That's probably the easiest one for people to connect with me. Um, and so, you know, I'd love to hear you. If you got a question, and as I've said at the presentation, you know, I'm, I'm available for speeches. But if you, you know, I, I try not to turn anybody down. So if you want five, 10, 15 minutes of, hey, let me hear it, then I'm, I'm good with it. And I'll attach all your information on, on the podcast too. Yeah. And for all your listeners out there, if you do want to hear great interviews like the one today, make sure to tune in every Tuesday. Thank you so much, all you guys, for tuning into RM Podcast FL. I hope you have a great rest of the day.